I'm Autumn Brown, a queer science fiction writer, a mother of dragons, and a healing justice facilitator for social movements living in Minneapolis. And I'm Adrienne Marie Brown, a writer, author of Emergent Strategy, Pleasure Activism, and Octavia's Brood, and I currently am about to go on sabbatical and live all over the place. <laughs> You'll be living abroad. I'll be living abroad, actually. <laughs> I'll be abroad somewhere far away from you. <laughs> this know where I am. is How okay. to Survive the End of the World. <laughs> Our podcast on surviving apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. And we are joined today... Um, by a very, very special guest. I know, we're super geeked out to have the incomparable, truly incomparable, Matt McGorry, um, who many of you know from his acting work on Orange is the New Black and How to Get Away with Murder, which is one of the top things we accidentally say when we're saying the name of our podcast. (laughs) How to Get Away with Murder, it's true. (laughs) And (laughs) so Matt is um, both an accomplished actor Um, but also an accomplished organizer and activist. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to have him on this show. He's been doing incredible work. Um, He does reading. He, Matt McGorry Reads, has an incredible (laughs) list of... We are a fan of people who read. We love people who read, and especially people who read the way Matt does. Um, He reads tons of nonfiction and translates it for Instagram, basically, and helps Mm. people understand the core concepts of it and drives them towards it. And... Um, has really been uplifting the work of Black Lives Matter organizers and activists doing um, a lot of work around fat phobia, around white supremacy, around patriarchy, and has several projects of his own and works of his own um, that we want to have him talk about today. So, Mm. Matt, darling, um, welcome. Thank (laughs) you. We're super excited to have you here. Beautiful Um, Thank you, darling. We love you. So... You are known on the whole internet as Woke Bay. Okay. <laughs> so we wanted to know what awakened you. Mm. Yeah. Um, so this was about, I'd say five and a half, six, you know, like six years ago now. I'm not, I'm not great at remembering like delineations of time. So I tend to just like. Time's not even real. So it's I know. To, exactly. Yeah. I basically, I pick a certain amount of time and then when it feels like it's been six months, I just add another six months on that. So I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I've been saying five and a half years for about six months. And so now it feels like six years. Perfect. <laughs> um, well done. Yeah. But about, so about six years ago, um, I was actually, I was asked to do basically to be a part of an article um, that was about uh, quote unquote male allies to women. Um, but at this point in my life, all that really meant was that I had been on Orange is New Black and um, was newly on how to get away with murder. Um, you know, the way that Hollywood <laughs> press machine goes, it's, you know, th- that's sort of the way it works. You know, it didn't really re- require anything of me to do that um, or to be considered hmm. that way. Um, unfortunately, as we all know, the bar is uh, is quite low. Um, and so I, um, as part of that, I had to read a, uh, a book about like women in the workplace and um, although it was not necessarily the um, the deepest and most intersectional book it was still something that opened my eyes for the first time um, because I, that coming up to that point in my life I'd never really had any conversation around um, racism or gender in any deep 
any deep way, deep and meaningful way. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, that's a credit to the fact of my, my privilege, you know, that growing up, uh, that I could spend 28 years of my life and never having that conversation, despite, you know, growing up in New York city and being surrounded in, um, very sort of, uh, multiracial, uh, communities. Um, the fact that I could sort of bypass ever having that conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was really the, the the kind of the first bit. And I don't I've never liked assigned reading. I've never been a fan of school, um, even though I love doing my own reading. Um, and so uh-huh. I remember being a little like resistant at first. And then I started reading it and started thinking, wow, this is all very new to me. And as someone who considers myself like just self-aware, you know, I did not have that, a political lens for that um, or at least a conscious uh-huh. political lens. Um, I started to realize, you know, the different ways that I was that I had never really kind of considered these things. And and then simultaneously I was dating a woman at the time who was an entrepreneur and working on starting a company. And she, you know, was having these investor meetings that basically, you know, would turn into actually, can you do drinks? And, and then she was, mm. you know, basically feeling demoralized by this idea that, you know, she had to basically walk this like invisible tightrope of not being so nice and friendly that she was quote unquote leading people on and also not being so reserved that she was cold or, you know, any of these words that sort of we assign to women. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then she was, I was trying to offer her some sort of feedback because, you know, as men were socialized to try to fix, fix it. Um, but I realized that I really, there was nothing I could offer her and she was just telling me this is the way it is. Um, and so I really had to reflect and, and basically think like, okay, so if I actually care about this, like if I care about her, if I care about these issues, then I have to really examine how I am a part of upholding them, um, in the, in the, in the most negative ways. Um, and then my first moment of actually re- recognizing my own sexism was I had a Skype call with the woman who wrote the book. And I remember, uh, after the call thinking to myself like, Oh, she wasn't as warm as I expected. And then immediately, huh. because I just read the book, I was like, Oh <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> um, and then I basically realized, wow, if, if I read one book and then I just had this realization very very soon after there's there's a whole host of stuff that I'm going to need to unlearn. So that was sort of the the entry way in for me, really. Beautiful. Mm. I'm curious to know Matt how it has felt to be um going through this process of politicization um in the context of the work you do in the world as an actor. So you're you're going through this process of politicization mm-hmm. um in the public eye. Mm-hmm where you know as you were sharing in terms of like being in the two shows that you have are most famous for and the ways that people are projecting a set of identities or are projecting a political consciousness onto you that mm. you may or may not have had before you were cast in those shows and then going through your process of politicization in relationship to the work mm. um I, it seems like the and a really interesting set of like conflicting expectations to be mm. living into or living up to and i'm just curious to know like how you've navigated that yeah um you know it it is uh you know hollywood is pretty fucked up um <laughs> as, as, as you might imagine so we've heard that yeah, but yeah, it's helped to have it independently confirmed <laughs> right right <laughs> this is a placebo like, so study real. a double okay. blind um <laughs> analysis. I can, I can concur. Um, you know, it's, uh, 
it's it's interesting because it's all it feed it all sort of feeds itself in the way of even when I was talking about before, right? That we we kind of have these situations where we have people who have like myself who at the time had no um, even thought of what being an ally meant, other than my quote unquote um, version without a conscious political lens of being a quote unquote good person, which as we know, um, mm. you know, is heavily influenced by um, the societal factors, cultural factors of you know patriarchy and white supremacy and all these things um and then basically what we have is the best you know pr engine in the world you know like hollywood itself is is pr 80 percent of the stories consumed worldwide are created in hollywood um and you know the industry that sort of upholds that and and kind of these you know big sort of uh non-profit you know reformist ways of sort of making change quote-unquote philanthropic ways of making change um that i really kind of view as like in some ways, an arm of the nonprofit industrial complex, really, you know, um, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, this, this idea, because obviously also the stories that we're producing are how we view how change is created, um, <clears throat> which is a very hyper individualist narrative, right? Like yeah. I, I say that like when I came on, when I came into like feminism that I came like a, like a feminist Batman, I just thought I was like, okay, I'm here. <laughs> I'm ready. Um, hands on hips that's right that's right that's right i'm ready to fight i'm ready to fight everyone else except for my own internalized bias um right you know so it it was um it's been a it's been a really interesting process and there's been a lot of layers to it um just understanding even and and obviously we know that this is typical you know when when white folks uh frankly when anyone but especially when white folks or especially white men when we come into uh the social justice scene or if we come into the social justice scene or in some ways quote unquote try to be of help um oftentimes we're actually perpetuating uh sort of the same dynamics um that got us to the place in the first place um so you know when i first started i thought that you know activism and all this stuff was something i was going to be doing outside of myself i didn't recognize that basically my life would be fully transformed um, in ways that were at time, you know, con- definitely confronting and difficult, but ultimately I believe is, is um, actually the most close, the thing most closely connected to my own sort of spiritual ascendance and my own deepest sort of passion um, for, for life and, and sort of collective well being, um, And, you know, Hollywood it's it's interesting to be both in the in the public eye and also recognize that like there there's never a project that I've been a part of that you know is not problematic in some way either in front Mm -hmm. of in front of and or behind the scenes um and so trying to be integrity um with that um can be very challenging and and there was a point um a few years ago where I felt like I was like I don't know if I can continue how I can continue to be an actor. Um, I really felt like my world was kind of uh, closing in um, mm. because, you know, even the thought of, <clears throat> you know, the thought of, uh, you know, coming from a prison and, and police abolition standpoint, like nearly, I would say like almost no shows that we, that we see that have any sort of like, you know, police presence in them have an abolitionist framework, you know, at the very, right. at the very most, it's like a reformist framework. It's like, we just need some more, good cops, um, which is not how I believe we get to the solution, um, and how we get to liberation. So it was definitely really challenging for, for a while, um, to maintain sort of 
you know, I, I think of that like feels like a fractured identity, you know, um, where yeah. you're trying to live in your own integrity and authenticity, but uh, constantly you're being asked to to step outside of that. And I didn't feel like I had a lot of models for how to um, how to really do that. Um, and thankfully, I've I've found uh, and got basically partnered with my mentor, J Love Calderon, um, about Yay, a year J-Love. and a half ago. Yay! Yay, J Love. Hey, <laughs> she's awesome. She's the best. I bet she can sense us right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I can go into that later, but you know, the um, basically she she did personal transformation work with me that that really completely changed my my framing around it and and allowed me to shift from this kind of a more of a scarcity uh, mindset to one of more of abundance um, and to actually feel basically more empowered than ever now um, to both be in my integrity and, and in alignment and also be reaching for the stories that I want to continue telling and for sort of new heights and, and I think a larger platform even to be able to continue to really um, shift the conversation. I love that. And it also seems like in that process, maybe because of that work that you did with her, but when I look at the breadth of things that you focus on, because there's so many things that you're studying and sharing with us, it feels like there's three issues I see coming to the top over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Um, I would say patriarchy, white mm-hmm. supremacy, and fat phobia mm-hmm. feel like your trifecta. And mm-hmm. I'm really curious. Just yours. Um, Yours. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and <clears throat> you, Batman, feminist Batman. So um, I, I just have to inter- just say that I saw something today where there was some someone swapped out the character actors for Batman and Catwoman in a conversation. Hmm. So the person who is normally doing what Catwoman does, like prancing around, sashaying, mm. rubbing her head, all that stuff mm-hmm. is the bat is like looks like Batman. <laughs> and then the person who is like yes. standing as Batman does, very stoically and still hands mm. on hips, is Catwoman. Is Catwoman. And so, it's so much excellent. more accurate. I'm gonna actually. try to find the picture <laughs> and we can use that as our visual. But um, so anyway, for you, Matt, I want to hear what is the, you know, what are the personal roots? What are the political roots for that? trifecta of issues why those three yeah hmm great question big question um i definitely see myself like sashaying around in the, in the batman uh, i feel you sashaying right yeah. now yeah, yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> so, and if i'm just stoically standing mic, here like what be. is the answer <laughs> <laughs> um let's see yeah so you know um my introduction into sort of social justice was around um, feminism um, or what I thought of as feminism at the time, obviously, you know, the, uh, our understanding of that definition, I feel like of all the definitions I imagine probably shift over time, um, which I think is is a good thing is a sign of us learning and growing. Um, And, um, and it's also like, you know, for us, we think about apocalypse as a sign of stuff falling away or destroying Mm. ending. Mm. And so it also feels like certain definitions will get us through a portal or through a door and then Mm. they fall apart as we start to have more nuanced understandings of what's Mm. next or what's coming. So it's like, oh, this was a battering ram. You know, like I feel like the first wave of feminism was like, this is a battering ram. Mm. And then you get through the portal and like, oh, hold up. (laughs) This is still infused with white supremacy. Battering ram. You know, what's the next Mm. one? But 
anyway, back to you. <laughs> no, I love that. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, so I think for me, it was really, that, that was kind of my first um, experience thinking about these issues, thinking about my own internalized bias, thinking about the culture at large, the different sets of expectations. Um, and then soon after that, I had a, a friend of mine who was like, yo, you need to read The New Jim Crow. Um, uh-huh. and that Michelle was, Alexander. yes, awesome. Michelle Alexander. And that, and that like blew my world open in a whole other way where I just was like, mm-hmm. God, I can't believe I've been living my whole life and totally unaware of this. Um, and you know, just thinking about like how, how powerful the dominant culture is that, that I could literally go 28 years of my life and not have had a conversation where someone like was like. Um, hey, do you know about this? And uh-huh. and thinking about like, you know, other white folks and the fact that, you know, really just like we just don't have conversations about we just don't think that race is ours to be having a conversation about unless mm-hmm. un- unless we're, you know, even unconsciously reinforcing racist rhetoric by, you know, talking about how sad it is that something something without recognizing the root causes of white supremacy. <laughs> um, right, right. You know, um, so, yeah, really it was. um it started it started um thinking about gender equity and then understanding sort of the intersections uh you know adding kind of race um into that as well um i think interestingly for me um you know typically i think culturally we 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 can say on the on the surface that a lot of people will actively say yeah it's different to be a man than to be a woman you know like that there's that makes sense to me that there should be differences um, that a lot of folks, you know, believe that. Um, whereas the interesting thing with, with race felt like um, it was just sort of that, that colorblind kind of um, quote unquote colorblind way of seeing it, which is like refusing to want to see any difference, um, which obviously is not, not possible. Um, right. We know that, that everyone <laughs> has unconscious bias um, and, uh, and so really actually beginning to think about what it means to be white um, was actually something uh, that really ch- started to begin to change a lot for me too. Um, you know, again, a lot of white folks, when we come to racial justice work, um, I think we're thinking about what we can do to, to quote unquote, help someone else. Um, but I think a lot of times what we're not realizing is actually investigating what it means to be white, which a lot of white people, when you say that, they're like, uh, you know, it's, I don't know, just normal. Um, and obviously, <laughs> right, obviously right. that is upholding whiteness as the norm. Um, right. and so we're missing out on all that. Um, so there was, you know, there began with really sort of this, um, conscious exploration and around sort of what felt like a more explicitly political kind of lens. Um, and then understanding that actually like patriarchy and whiteness, affected all areas of my life, um, even when I'm not having conversations about politics, right? It just, it affects how I move through the world. It affects my ideology about, um, you know, who I am and the story that I make up about who I am. You know, I was um, a personal trainer for 10 years. I I competed in powerlifting, um, a nationally ranked level. I did a bodybuilding show and won that. And um, I was really, uh, you know, I had these ideology and I never would have at that point in my life, you know, I, I, I never would have said, you know, men shouldn't cry or there were never any things that explicitly that I thought that I was, 
um, perpetuating. You know, my parents, for you know, for being a couple of white folks, were still quite kind of open-minded, and from a young age, told me it'd be okay if I was gay. You know, so even despite growing up in a household where uh, there was a lot of quote-unquote acceptance, um, I still hadn't realized how much I had internalized these ideologies were basically, you know, a lot of my, I believe my powerlifting career and, and, and all that came from this idea that like, I had to make things as hard as possible on myself. Like my value Hmm. came, came from, um, like making, like submitting, uh, making my, willing myself to submit to, um, to essentially my goals. Um, and this is obviously, as you can imagine, a recipe for, pretty joyless uh, existence um yeah and um and that obviously also got recreated in my activism too um mm. you know thinking mm. like oh these are the things i should do these are the things I, I have to do um and and sort of you know continuing to replicate that um and then sort of the the entrance of fat phobia kind of or at least into understanding it really came in the last i'd say probably maybe two years now um and, um, but obviously it's been something that I've been dealing with and thinking about my entire life. Um, you know, uh, from a very young age, I remember, you know, being bullied and, and, um, you know, I think having very formative, like traumatic experiences, it's sort of the, those intersections of, of fat phobia and patriarchy, you know, like mm-hmm. as a, as a soft, you know, chubby, you know, young teenager, preteen, you know, um, recognizing that this is not what I see in the movies. These are not, these are not, this is not Batman. These are not the superheroes that I see. These are not like the people that are worth being portrayed, (laughs) you know, um, that are worthy of like love stories. Um, and so, you know, I, I basically when I was 14, I started working out with the trainer. Um, and then I began to notice how people treated me very differently when my body started changing. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, as Virgie Tovar talks about, and you have the right to remain fat, you know, she talks about this idea that kind of the closer you are to the peak of privilege, sometimes the more um, tempting it can be to try and assimilate in. Um, So as for Uh me, as like a a Uh cisgender, heterosexual, white man of class privilege, like, it was like, oh, if only I could be lean enough to be like you know, like what I'm seeing in, in the movies and on TV, like I'm just, I'm just close enough without even realizing that. Um, mm. and, and I think I, I just didn't realize what it cost me for so long. You know, I think I didn't realize what it cost me until I stopped, made the decision to stop dieting about a year and a half ago. Um, and then I began to really see, first of all, when I was in letting go of it, how much fear also crept in you know? Um, and then, yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And and then literally seeing how the world treated me differently. Um, and how, yeah, just experiencing microaggressions and, and even outright sort of like bigotry. And, and, um, so that, that's been a really interesting part of the journey that, that is, um, that feels, you know, something that I'm directly targeted by, um, you know, I believe obviously patriarchy and white supremacy, I do believe harms white people and men as well, even though they're the, not the active targets of it. Um, but I do believe that it, it, uh, you know, it relatively privileges us and gives us benefits, um, over, you know, women and gender nonconforming folks or people of color, but it mm-hmm. still does do harm to us in this system. And so this is really the first time that I'm, uh, 
like looking at and taking on something that directly impacts me. And I'm just so thankful for having a political analysis um, that has been based around, you know, a radical, you know, black feminist analysis and, and understanding these things so I can understand even differently in my plug it in an anal- in a, sort of an analogy type way where if I'm like, okay, if I'm explaining fat phobia to someone and if someone says saying some shit to me and I'm feeling triggered right now in a way that I don't usually feel the same way if someone's saying something sexist or racist, um, I'm going to give myself permission with this thing in order to handle it differently than I would if I was acting in the capacity purely of sort of accomplish ship. Um, mm, right. You know, yeah. That's and so right. that's kind of kind of catches you up. I feel like I'm talking for long bouts of time, this by the is, way. No, so, it's beautiful. Okay, okay, okay. Well, you're being I, thorough. We like that. Well, and I, I really appreciate the way that, you know, the, the direct naming of the fact that patriarchy and white supremacy harms those who are privileged inside those systems. Mm. And one of the things that we talk about a lot in our work is 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 how that harm happens mm. through the process of socialization because you know men are socialized into patriarchy through violence and white people are socialized into white supremacy also through it's a violent process. Um and and I'm curious, I, we have kind of a two-part question, I think, in relationship to what you just said. One being, you know, I heard you say, I, I wasn't really aware of what it cost me until I started, you know, transforming. And I'm curious, I would be curious to hear you name some of the things, some of those things that you you can see now were costs to yourself, spiritual mm-hmm. costs or mm-hmm. personal costs. Um and and then based on the lessons you're learning through your own process of transformation and the particular context that you work in, I'm curious to know what you think or believe is on the other side of these oppressive systems as we continue to do our transformational work. Mm. Wow, that's a that's a real two parter. boom boom (laughs) boom boom just the one two um you know i think in some ways patriarchy um and the damage of that to men is easier for men a lot of men to name than even how white supremacy um impacts white folks and how we can name that um but you know what, what i've really Essentially, what I've actually what I've come to in my relationships is, you know, is um, I, I'm, I'm in order for me to have de- to be in deep relationship with someone, they have to be um, actively unlearning and working against, um, you know, white supremacy and patriarchy and fat phobia. Um, it just uh, it's a there's a constrictive nature about it um, that that comes with all this defensiveness that of course is defensiveness around conversations around even explicitly social justice, but just in general that comes with, um, you know, as, as a white man, having my worldview validated, um, basically at all times, you know, this idea Uh that being able to take, you know, even sort of feedback in that way, um, about anything outside of that is very, uh, becomes very, feels very difficult because, um, we're not used to having to have to consider basically other people's opinions and as it slots into our worldview. 
Um, you know, and because it's very easy for us to shrug something off or to say, well, I'm going to just be the devil's advocate for a little bit and go back to living our lives where our worldview or dominant worldview is validated. And the other person goes back to their life where they're continually having to figure out how to deal with white men, um, to stay employed or to get employed or to survive. That's literally. Right. That's right. How to survive. Um, yeah, right. exactly. Um, and, um, you know, I've found that, uh, that in so many of my male friendships, um, particularly friendships from the past, um, less now with the friendships that I'm intentionally forming, um, these days because they, I do tend to, uh, not tend to, I'm actively and intentionally seeking out, um, other people who are, who are interested in their own self healing and, uh, exploration and, um, also the collective well being as well. Um, but there's just such a, it's such a block there's such a block there um, that we've normalized so we don't... It's sort of when I... Um, it's interesting when I talk about fat phobia and stuff, I feel like so many... It seems to be like there's less of a conversation about that. Um, it seems to be almost less understood than many of these other issues, even in social justice spaces. Um, so I find yeah. analogies very helpful, even for myself in figuring out, okay, what is the right move here? Thinking like, okay, is that what is the analogy that I can think of with another system of oppression that I've... Uh, that I've studied um, and learned about and, and um, worked to dismantle. Um, and, you know, in, in that same way, it's like, you know, when you've normalized diet culture and dieting and, and all these fat phobic beliefs, um, you know, it doesn't feel like it costs you it, or, or it doesn't yeah. like, you know, obviously depending on the level with one is impacted by it. Um, for me, it didn't feel like, I was like, this is just my life. This is just how it has to be. Um, and it's the same thing with, um, I think with patriarchy too, is like, you know, even the, the conversations around, um, my, my mind is like splintering in, in so many different directions. Um, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, the, yeah it's a lot the, of ground we're, co- we're asking you to cover. Right. Right. Um, the, uh, just the, the sort of the disconnection that comes that, you know, men most men we first of all i think just generally in our culture and relationships we we think of uh romantic relationships as uh you know above all the most you know important um and then i think for everything else and particularly for men we relegate our relationships with men to like um especially heterosexual men to kind of like bro time like you know we're not really talking about you know real shit and you know I mean, the quality of our conversations is the quality of our relationships. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, to, and most men don't know how to really delve sort of uh, deep into themselves. Or if they do, it's, you know, we feel more comfortable maybe doing it with a woman because we expect her to do that emotional labor. Um, but yep. the, the layers of it are, are so are so deep. Um, and And it's... You know, reading, uh, you know, Bell Hooks is probably my favorite author. Um, and, uh-huh. you know, reading all about love, new visions, you know, is a beautiful sort of way of reimagining what, what connection can be like. Um, but it's just, and then I think with the whiteness comes this like hyper individualism um, that is obviously layered in with <laughs> capitalism as well. And that, mm-hmm. that as well prevents human connection. Um I think this is hugely responsible for why, you know, it's so many more men who we see, you know, committing suicide is we're, we're disconnected and 
Many men yes. have no real connection in their life or the only real connection might be with their wife. And then when they get divorced, oftentimes they're so, they feel so alone. Um, so, I mean, I truly believe that, you know, feminism, you know, saved my life. Um, because I, I also glor- glorified even the being alone at times too. I mean, this, mm-hmm. I, I bring up Batman sometimes because um, I think that this, existed as part of my own mythology for so long of like, you know, like where, where are the examples that we see of men who are like sensitive and caring and, 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 uh, that are held up culturally. It's, it doesn't really, it doesn't really exist for the most part. Um, yeah. Batman is like, doesn't even know how it's like, like he's always cast as mm-hmm. like, completely unemotional like mm-hmm. there's not even any like variation in the speaking yes. voice truth truth <laughs> you know <laughs> he's literally wearing a mask <laughs> yeah <laughs> literally like like all of us men we're just wearing yeah. a fucking mask around um yeah. can't even turn your can't even turn your head you just have to turn your entire body <laughs> because <Right>. we're <laughs> we're so rigid you know um, oh honey and it's yeah. yeah and i just i wish yeah. i wish for so many of us that we could um, really, I feel like there becomes a tipping point where it's like when you start like getting into the work, um, it feels scary and you're like, oh, I understand there's some different things that are shifting for me here. But I think that there comes a tipping point um, and one has to be willing to get to that place where then I think you really be able to see sort of how your life can transform when you're actually working to, um, even when it comes to whiteness, to... Uh, to make visible what is often so feels so invisible to us, um, yes. you know, and even this sort of avoidance of conflict, you know, um, that is that is sort of this like white Christian value that's kind of uh, passed down and serves to uphold the status quo. I mean, I believe that being complicit with these systems is um, is kills our souls, you know, and yeah. oftentimes I use a sort of a historical kind of analogy for folks who are trying to understand this when, you know, even having conversations with folks when we're talking about spirituality and I bring up sort of this concept of spiritual bypass, you know, of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to imagine. And then, so I say like, okay, imagine that we were living in the time of, um, you know, when, uh, slavery was all over the United States. Do you think even then that just like being your own best person, like would then would somehow impact people who were enslaved? Like, like, is that enough then? Or do we actually have to be abolitionists and support abolition? Um, right. And it's just that we've... And disrupt these systems. And disrupt That's these right. systems, yeah. We just normalize it so much that I believe that is part of how we um, are slowly killing ourselves, to be honest. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I want to say, too, that I really I really appreciate the this theme that you keep returning to of, like, the, or the way you problematize the um the male superheroes that are so mm, mm. um celebrated mm. in pop culture because especially in relationship to this piece you uplifted of like conflict avoidance because one of the things you know when we don't when we don't build the skill of engaging in conflict in a principled way mm. it means that under stress things become really explosive and you can see that in a lot of those superhero narratives mm-hmm. that like once the superhero reaches a level of like the external conditions of his life 
have become so stressful to him that he can't bear it anymore, he will implode his own life or burn mm. everything to the ground, you know? Mm. And and that's a pattern that we see play out over and over again, particularly in white men's lives, that yes. they they can't handle the duress without imploding completely and causing a lot of damage to all the people who are around them. And when actually what's needed is an ability, like, you know, the same resilience that any person who lives under an oppressive system has to build in order to navigate living in that oppressive system. Yes. That's what we need. White men, white women, um, you know, we need everyone to have that same resilience in order to be able to make it across together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. True. And I wanted to just represent the question Autumn was asking because I think about this as like, you know, and we talked about this, like I tend to be more in the realm of like the fiction, visionary, futuristic, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you're more historical, nonfiction, you know, <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, like, do you have a concept or a, a felt sense of what's on the other side of these systems? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. on the other side of patriarchy, out beyond white supremacy, out beyond fat phobia, like what, how do you feel? You know, what do you feel like in your body and in your life? Like, you know, when is that, <laughs> when yeah. is that time going to be like, do you have a sense of those things? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I'm, um, I, I, I have been shifting more and more, I think into a place of vision. Um, you Yay. know, you know, and we've talked about this before and, you know, obviously it's important to be able to name the, the problem. Um, and also at the same time, you know, we have to be able to create compelling visions for the future. Um, and I'm more and more interested in, in, um, in the process in the idea of creating content and culture that can actually shift those visions. Cause I also recognize that, um, a lot of the conversations that I'm having, uh, particularly for someone of my identities is not, uh, a common conversation. Um, and, and it, and it mm. needs to be to create other sort of, you know, ways of of being you know um even when we talk about even when we talk about consent you know and, and affirmative enthusiastic consent like there's just really like barely any models for that you know in film yep. and television so you know I was, <laughs> it's like the opposite exactly yeah um and so like having to try and like understand what that meant and kind of like you know uh create that for myself and stumble around with that i think just like I think there's such a power and possibility in the idea of, of, of illustrating what that can look like and just, and, and creating and normalizing that. Um, but for me, yeah, it, I, I mean, I do feel honestly more joyful and liberated than I've, than I've ever felt, um, you know, as I'm sort of moving through these things. And, um, I think for me, you know, in the last year and a half, like understanding even that, uh, kind of my own sort of way of being as an activist and an organizer, um, how that had still at times been based out of the same kind of mentality of like, you know, just like grinding and grinding and grinding and, and, and then asserting that as a positive part of my identity. Um, I think for me it was very much also based in kind of whiteness and, and, um, and all that. And so shifting into a place of abundance and, and looking at really, okay, what are my unique skills and contributions that I can bring to the movement, right? How, how do I best serve the movement and also 
placing myself in sort of the equation too, you know, I've realized that um, obviously they're, you know, coming into activism initially and uh, fucking up um, a lot and doing it publicly and not really feeling like I could had like a place to kind of go to lean on to, to sort of um, support me really in that journey. I think the way I needed it uh, was very sort of painful and, and I knew I wasn't going to stop. Um, and yet I think what happened is also uh, I ended up shrinking myself so much, you know, um, to the extent where I was nece- not necessarily part of the equation or my happiness was not necessarily a part of the equation. Um, and that is also, of course, uh, a result of uh, a response to patriarchy and white supremacy and all these systems. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. um, my my own trauma, you know, from recognizing that I've perpetuated harm in my life, um, you know, uh, being unaware of these these things for 28 years um, is something that requires my active healing. And I have to be able to even name um, that that is the case. And even, even now being able to name that without, I think even a year ago would have been the fear of, Oh, I'm taking up too much space. It's, it's not about me. It's about, you know, it's about everyone else. Um, and actually understanding that it, that it is all connected. Um, and so being able to do that has allowed me to also be in more authentic relationship because I'm not, you know, navigating my own trauma and trying not to, um, step on someone else. And I'm, I've learned to trust that if I fuck up, I can make it right and, 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 and move on. But, um, living in a constant fear of fucking up, um, is also, uh, is not helpful for actually is, is not me being my best for the movement even. You know, right. Um, I love that, that like the opposite of ignorance is not like disappearing ourselves, mm. but it's like, oh, once I awaken, then something becomes possible with like finding the right relationship. Like mm. what is the the right scale for my work? And I do. I love what I'm hearing and what you're saying, because there is something around like the more I understand what the world is really like, the more I can make good use of an increased pro- platform. Mm-hmm. Um like too often people like, Oh, I have huge reach, but I don't really know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like, I Mm -hmm. feel like we see so many people learning in public, politicizing in public. You know, I keep, I think about like Cardi B or India Moore. Mm -hmm. There's like these different people who are doing it in different ways where I'm like, Oh, like I'm watching you literally grow Mm -hmm. the scale of your reach and also decide like, how do I want to bring analysis into this moment and how can I do that? Well, um, so, I want to switch tactics a little directions a little because I know we, we don't we're coming towards the end and there's a few things we really want to spend time with you around. One of them is you as a as a person of books, a man of books, a <laughs> renaissance Ooh, books, like renaissance man. Like so that. you're such an avid reader. Um, and that's actually really how you came on my radar, like your activist self came on my radar is like seeing these post about books that you were doing where you had underlined and highlighted and like had all the little, you know, post-it notes and everything. And just like really going in and through a book. And I also know that you are finishing writing your own book. Um, and so I'm really curious about what you find in that medium that feels different from acting and feels different from activism. Mm -hmm. Um, and what you're hoping to be able to do with, with books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great question. <laughs> that was a motorcycle outside. 
You know uh-huh. I love some books. You know you talk about books. I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're like my motor is revving. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, you know, um, I think it was Matha Al Hassan, uh, uh, who's an amazing uh, activist and organizer, and she she uh, mentioned this idea of a reading practice, um, which I liked as a different sort of framing around my reading uh, for me too, because it really does feel like mm-hmm. that. It does feel like a practice. It feels like something that is a central part of my own, you know, um, uh, well-being and, and ability to understand the world and, and, and move through it in a different, um, you know, in a different way. Um, and so it just excites me so much. I finished, you know, like two books in this past week and then I just get so excited. I'm like, Oh, I get to pick two of the new books off my shelf. Um, Aww. you know, I think it's just, that's adorable. It's, <laughs> I I really, it it feels very, uh, relaxing to me. Interestingly. Um, I sort of imagine it's like taking like, like a Husky to the dog park and like, kind of like tiring it out a bit. Um, and sometimes I feel that way about like my own, um, desire to be sort of, uh, um, to sort of understand myself and, and, and my place in the world and all that. It really allows me something to kind of, to chew on. Um, and obviously is, critically important to, uh, my activism work as well. Um, yeah. And, and the, and the, the process of, um, of writing the book, which I think is the first time that I will be talking about it publicly, um, is, uh, with us. Yes. OMG. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Um, <clears throat> composure. Keep it yeah. together. <laughs> I think this might be our first no, ever thing like it. this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what, what you can call it. Cause I don't know. I said, I think this might be our first ever like breaking news thing or That's whatever. Right. I don't even know what to call <laughs> it. But it's it's <laughs> totally breaking news. So, yeah. The fact that I don't know how to call it describes the kind of podcast. We have. Anyway. So <laughs> tell us about your um, top secret project. It's been such a process. I've learned a lot about myself in the process. That's for damn sure. Um, you know, I've had the the really important support um, of it of of that process uh, with my coach um, Jay Love, and and yeah. that has been critical for me in being able to unpack that. But I learned a lot about my own, you know, perfectionism um, in the process, um, and the way that I think that that can stifle my own creativity. Um, uh-huh. You know, this wanting it to come out perfect, like as I'm writing it. Um, you know, it's been a, just an, a really important um way to help me sort of understand myself and really you know what i'm uh, appreciating about is and understanding it you know is that it is an important perspective um that needs to happen um and i think for so long i was so concerned um about pushback um which i know will probably be there still regardless um Mm -hmm. but also understanding that like for me to uh, understand when I can take up space even, um, I think is critical for, I think both me as a human being and also for, um, supporting the movements as well. Um, you know, I've, I've heard this, this idea at one point, it's like, we don't want, uh, white anti-racists to be quote unquote declawed. You know, we still need you to have your claws. Um, we still need you to be able to, to, to push and, scratch sometimes. <laughs> um, and so, uh, that even that and allowing that to kind of happen, um, has been important. And also even talking about these things, you know, from the inside of like, again, I, you know, 
so much of our cultural imagination comes from Hollywood. Um, and unfortunately we are, you know, perpetuating these systems of, of oppression just as much, if not more than other basically areas, you know, um, I was, uh, 90% of, you know, people who basically showrunners in Hollywood, people who, who like create TV shows are white. Um, and mm-hmm. our president's, uh, the president's cabinet is 86% white. Um, so even that way, when you're like, wow, we're more white in that way than even he is. Um, Dang. yeah. And, Ooh, and that's so, a really upsetting statistic. I know it really is. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Really now is. I'm, I'm curious. Sorry. <laughs> mm. Um, no, <that's> good. <laughs> you know, I, I think for me, I think what I'm also, what I'm hoping I can offer is, uh, is a really deep critical self-reflection that I believe, you know, um, this book is not trying to convince anyone that racism or sexism exists. Um, I'm starting from the place of understanding that, uh, that it does. And I'm actually looking at specifically having it talk to, uh, liberal and progressive, um, white folks, men, um, but folks of all different identities. Um, because I think that there is this idea and particularly in LA and sort of liberal spaces of like, you know, that, Somehow that we we basically that the main goal needs to be to quote unquote reach across the aisle and reach the other side, um, which actually is usually serves to 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 sort of shield us from any of our own sort of self reflection in terms of how we are perpetuating and upholding these systems. Um, and so for me, I believe that if we could get every person who identifies as progressive or or liberal, um, all these white folks to to actually be about what they say that they're about, um, that we would actually win um, and we'd see the change that we we want a lot faster. Um, and so really kind of breaking out of that binary of like, you know, just like, oh, I guess, you know, are you Democrat or Republican? And it's like, right. Mm, right. There's, a, there's, a, there's a much wider spectrum than that. Um, right. You know, and, and, and then I think to really sort of like um, instill this idea that... Um, we have to be willing to, again, those of us who are quote unquote trying to be in service or be of quote unquote help. I use, I don't like those words. That's why I'm putting the quotes around them, but I feel like they're oftentimes the common, the common, uh, language around it. Um, we have to actually be able to really willing to look deep in order to transform ourselves. And actually that is the only way that, um, that I believe that we will liberate ourselves from this need to be saviors really you know if we're, if we're coming back around to it um to to superheroes is like you know the savior mentality is is a form of white supremacy and it is it is so deeply embedded in our culture that we we must break free of it if we're going to see the change that we so desperately need um and even in those of us who are perpetuating the savior mentality uh, our own liberation our own humanity Um, and our own integrity is at stake. I'm really grateful that you took the time to talk with us, and I'm really grateful for the work that you're doing. Um, It feels like there's so many different worlds that need to be touched and transformed, and you're really taking the responsibility, as my mentor Gracie Boggs talked about, like how you have to take responsibility for your part of transformation, and it feels like you're doing that so beautifully. And yeah, inside your sphere of influence. Exactly. Really amazing. We think you're great. We're Thank super you. glad that you're in the woke bay and that you are sashaying Batman in these mm-hmm. um, 
magical times. Sashay yes. away <laughs> all the way to that set and then lead a diversity training. That's exactly. right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, With my claws. <laughs> with yes. your claws out exactly. like kitty claws, claws out. oh those are gonna be so cute I'm gonna totally get you kitty claw gloves now <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> like um, alright darling so we're gonna wrap up yeah. let's Great. say thank you so much our, for we're gonna do our little closing thing yeah thank you, you yeah I really appreciate um, it and stay put because we may ask you okay. one more thing Okay, here we go. Thanks for listening to our show. We're on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World PC. We're also on Facebook at End of the World Show. You can make a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our page at patreon.com slash end of the world shoot. Another incredibly helpful thing you can do to help our show sustain itself is to write us a review on Apple Podcasts if you are an iPhone person. Thank you. How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by the swaggy Zach Rosen. <laughs> Music for today's show comes from the Swagalicious, <laughs> Tunde Alanaran, and Mother Cyborg. And Matt, the little last thing we're going to ask you is I am a fan of doing these little Easter eggs where we toss in a little bit. I'm a fan too. End. It just took me a while to like get on board with. We're both fans. Um, we're mm-hmm. both fans. Um, so, what I would love to ask you is what is your favorite curse word? Um, I mean, I think the one that I probably use the most frequently and that came up in this was fuck. Um, you know, I feel like growing up in New York City, you know, for some reason it feels like it feels right to me. Hey, I get a fucking bagel here. You know? Yeah, I need um, a fucking bagel. Yeah. Is that how it sounds? That's how it sounds. <laughs> That's actually what my accent sounded like until uh, Andrew Hollywood and... Wow, no, really? Kidding. No. Okay. No. <laughs> I was like, please let's bring that back. That's amazing. I'm like, wow, they really trained it out of you. That's right. They really it was it was significant. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, that was a really good Easter egg. Yeah, I think fuck because it can be used in so many like fuck. Oh fuck! Ah, yeah, fuck. Fuck you! Yeah, or exactly. I want to fuck you! Yeah, it's yeah. such a wonderful <laughs> word. Well, we love you so much, Matt. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, bye, honey. All right, bye. talk to you soon. Bye.